This is a COVID-19 update with Dr. Troy Pennington for Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. Hey, County Fire family, thank you for joining us for a very important County Fire Insight. It's been probably over a year since Dr. Pennington was able to join us to talk about COVID and the vaccinations and what we're seeing in the hospital. And with the rise that we've seen with the Delta variant across the United States and with the discussion on the, the vaccinations with uh, the recent FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine, I thought it would be a good idea to have Dr. Pennington here to be able to answer any questions the organization might have. What specifically we're gonna talk about is what we've learned over the last few months with these vaccines. What is the current hospital status? That's something that is fire department's leadership's looking at a regular ongoing basis, knowing that it's impacting all of our crews that are out there working so hard, impacting our ambulances. Talk about, uh, what about the patients that we're seeing in the hospital? Are those patients, have they been vaccinated? And if so, are they ending up in the ICU? A little bit about the booster shot that we're starting to hear discussions about. And then we're gonna introduce one of our, our fire employees that was recently infected with COVID and allow him to tell a story. So Dr. Pennington, thank you very much for being with us. I'll turn this over to you. Great, and thank you so much, Chief, for the introduction. And I'm so happy to be here with all of you today. You know, the, the first question was, you know, what have we learned in the past six months? And, and I will tell you, I mean, first and foremost, I think we've learned that we're all in this together. I've spent a lot of time reflecting during the pandemic and, and thinking about my career, you know, in medicine as a whole. Many of you may know that, you know, I started my career as a volunteer firefighter and then a paid firefighter and a paramedic. And I, I found that I had a passion for medicine and taking care of people. And, you know, I think we all need to ask ourselves why we do this job. Um, I think we can all agree that we do this job to help others, to, to save lives and to better our community, to help thy neighbor. And I, I wanna emphasize that you know, humanity's memory is short. We really must learn from these experiences so that we're able to return to some sort of a normal life. You know, I kind of feel like this is the, the movie Groundhog Day and we keep repeating ourselves, that movie from the 90s with Bill Murray, and every day we get up, it's the same thing. We're now in that fourth wave. You know, one of my friends described it more like, you know, Charlie Brown running to kick that football and every time Lucy pulls the football away from him. You know, it kind of feels like that. And I know many of you are disheartened um, by what's happened, but you know, we must remember the past, we must do better. And, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about the vaccines and, and what powerful tools they are. Um, the majority of you, I'm sure are vaccinated and have had vaccines for measles and mumps and rubella. Um, polio and you know I think the first time that this really was something that I thought about was when I started my career as a paramedic in the uh, early 80s um, I actually finished paramedic school in into 84 85 and the haemophilus influenza uh, vaccine was just coming out for those of you that are not familiar with H-flu, it was the most common cause of meningitis in infants and children under five years of age. It caused pneumonia, it caused epiglottitis. And guess what? It's been an absolute home run. We haven't seen a case of epiglottitis in children in our place for an incredibly long time. And the last few cases over the past several years of epiglottitis that we've seen have actually been in adults that were unvaccinated. So vaccines have really had a substantial impact on us um, throughout the course of history, and frankly, many of you wouldn't be here without the advent of vaccines. COVID has highlighted disparities in our community. 
It's highlighted our tremendous resiliency. It's highlighted our uh, ability to, you know, bond together as a community. Uh, I think it's taught us humility. And, you know, we've learned a lot about the virus. We are so much better now at caring for patients than when we started this. Many of you know that my wife got sick with COVID early in the pandemic, and we really hadn't figured out what to do yet and how to care for people. We're doing a better job. Initially, we were putting too many people on ventilators. We were um, too quick to uh, do a lot of therapeutic interventions that we found didn't work. We've got a good workflow. We're doing a much better job at caring for people now. We found simple medications like Decadron or dexamethasone, steroids, are integral to the care of our patients. We found other medications such as remdesivir or monoclonal antibodies, many things that have really improved the care and outcome of our COVID patients. And you know, now even things like monoclonal antibodies, you don't need to wait till you get super sick. So if you know you're high risk, I implore you to remember that if you have someone that's at high risk in your family and they're recently diagnosed with COVID, that we have those monoclonal antibodies that we can give before they get profoundly sick. So don't forget about that. What I wanted to kind of talk about, and forgive me here with the paper, but I've got a couple of numbers that I just wanted to go through and I wanna make sure I've got them straight. You know, let's look at the facts of the pandemic. Worldwide, we've seen nearly 214 million cases and that's just the ones that we've counted. We've seen nearly 4,500,000 deaths and that's on a worldwide scale. Locally, what have we seen in our county? In our county, we've had 325,337 cases at last count. We've had 4,901 deaths in San Bernardino County from COVID. Our case fatality rate is just greater than 1.5%. Now, when we look at the cases, vaccinated versus non-vaccinated since February 1st, 173 of the people that died were not vaccinated. We only had six vaccinated deaths. And those individuals that were vaccinated that went on to die, they were older, they had multiple comorbidities, they were diabetic, they were hypertensive, they had congestive heart failure, in-stage renal disease on dialysis, they were morbidly obese. They had a combination of things that tipped them over. And so it's important to recognize that the vaccines have had a really profound impact. In the last 14 days, we had 10 more deaths, they were all not vaccinated. We had no deaths in the fully vaccinated in the last 10 days. Now, if we look at the hospital data, where are we at right now? In the last two months, you know, if you go back two months ago, we had like 40, 50 people in the hospital. On Thursday, last week, we had 607 hospitalizations in this county from COVID. Now, the good bit of news here, the little bit of silver lining is I've seen a little bit of flattening in the data in the past four or five days. We're down to 583 cases as of the 22nd that were hospitalized. But tragically, 107 of those individuals are on ventilators. Um, and so that's just about 18%. You know, so from that time period of July 17th to August 17th, we've actually been adding about 100 hospital admissions for COVID, just COVID, a week in our county. And I'm hoping that that little flattening continues. About 21% of our beds in the county are occupied currently by COVID patients. Our median age in the county for new cases is age 36, as far as the age for people that are actually being infected. Pediatric cases, we're seeing a bump. We now currently have 12 pediatric cases hospitalized in the county. We have nine of those in the East Valley and three in the West. And at least five of our ICUs are at or greater than 100% capacity already. 
um, our most impacted hospitals by way of numbers, and some of these hospitals have greater than 90 COVID patients in-house right now, has been you know San Antonio Community Hospital, Kaiser Fontana, Kaiser Ontario, Arrowhead and Loma Linda kind of you know bringing up the rear there. But all of those hospitals have been averaging at least 40 to 50 COVID patients. Some of them, again, are in excess of 90 COVID patients right now. Um, when we look at the vaccinated versus unvaccinated data nationally, somewhere between 90 to 90, excuse me, 97 to 99% of all of the individuals that are in the hospital are not vaccinated. And, you know, I think a couple of important numbers to remember. In California, the unvaccinated are 68 times more likely to be hospitalized. And you're 58 times more likely to die if you look at our California statistics. Um, you know, one of the other large studies now, this was from July 26, and I know there's been an update to their data, but you know, when they looked at 163 million people that had been vaccinated in the United States, yes, we are having some breakthrough cases, but those breakthrough cases are an incredibly small number. They are like 0.01%. So yes, the vaccinated can get infected. Yes, the vaccinated can get infected and even die, but generally they have multiple or additional comorbidities that you know, increase their risk for you know, serious illness or death. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the, the fact that Pfizer um, was recently approved. They got full FDA approval for vaccinations. Um, the, this happened actually, I think on Monday was the, the, the final date of approval. But with this vaccine approval, it's for those age 16 and up. Um, the other thing that's kind of coming down the pike right now is the fact that they are recommending booster shots. So who should get a booster shot? There's two big categories here. One is the immune compromised. Immune compromised make up about 2.7% of the United States population. That's roughly 10 million people. Um, so transplant victim, people that have uh, you know, bad rheumatoid arthritis, they have a prior history of malignancy. Again, all of those other medical conditions that make them immune compromised. Those individuals have a significantly increased rate of morbidity and mortality from the virus. And the tragic thing that we found, it, primarily from European studies and studies that have come out of Israel, is that many of these individuals, and I'll give you a transplant individual for example, let's say you have a family member that's a transplant victim. That person has gone through their first two shots of the mRNA vaccine, Moderna or Pfizer, doesn't matter which, we're finding that somewhere between 33 to 50% of the time, um, these individuals develop immunity. The other half of the time, they're not. So what I'm saying is it's essentially a flip of a coin. So they found that we really do need a booster. So for the immune, immunocompromised, they're recommending that we start booster shots right now. They've been recommending that actually um, since several days ago. So if you have someone that's immune compromised, they're recommending that they actually get a third booster shot 28 days after your second um, initial mRNA vaccine. And then for the rest of us, where are we at? They know that we're starting to see some waning immunity at around eight months. And so for those of you that were vaccinated early in the pandemic, they're recommending that here starting around September, for those of you that were vaccinated early, that they're recommending that we actually get a third shot. There is some debate about this, but ultimately they're recommending that for those individuals, we need to get that third shot. It's more about timing. It's not about whether or not we need it. Um, you know, those were, I mean, some of the biggest points that I wanted to make, you know, I mean, just to kind of bring it back home to the vaccines. I mean, here are kind of my takeaway points. 
you know, we know that after vaccination, your ability to transmit the uh, virus is decreased. We know that the vaccine reduces your chances of getting sick. We know that the vaccine reduces your chances of going to the hospital. And we know that the vaccine significantly reduces your chances of death. So, you know, I would just kind of call to you. I mean, we are here to protect and serve. And um, I just want to implore you to, to think seriously about the vaccinations. And, and we're here to, to answer any questions that you might have. Troy, I have a couple of thoughts. I, I'm fully vaccinated with the Pfizer. I, I didn't have any side effects at all. Uh, but I do know that there is some portion of the population does have some of those side effects from the different vaccines. How safe are the vaccines and how adverse are those reactions that you're seeing in the hospital right now? Yeah, so, you know, and that was a big concern, right? When we look at the worldwide data, I mean, we've had billions of people vaccinated around the world right now. And, and so a lot of people, their initial hesitancy was waiting for the FDA approval. And again, we now have that. They didn't rush it. They have the data. I mean, in our country alone, we have nearly 350 million doses of the vaccines that have been given. What's the incidence of, let's say, bad reactions? The incidence of serious allergic reaction, we're seeing about two to five people out of every million that are having an allergic reaction. It's not an allergic reaction and dying, it's an allergic reaction, they get some Benadryl, they get a steroid and you know plus or minus epi and they do better. We are seeing a small incidence of cases of some heart inflammation. We have seen in particular in the J&J &J vaccine, um, a thing called thrombosis and thrombocytopenia. But the thing I want you to really think about is you need to think about the math here. The numbers are incredibly small. If I asked you, were you afraid to take an aspirin? Or are you afraid to take uh, an Advil or a Motrin? You know, I, I guarantee all of you would say, no, I'm not worried about that. The risk of death from taking even over-the-counter anti-inflammatories is like one and, uh, excuse me, 21 out of a million. So when you, when you put the stuff on par, I mean, the numbers are incredibly, incredibly small. The vaccines are amazingly safe and effective, and your risk is so much greater being unvaccinated. Thank you. So what exactly does FDA approval mean? We know that they've studied the vaccine. They've looked at the, how effective it is. They're looking at all these side effects. But what does that actually mean? The FDA is really the gold standard in the world for approval. Um, they have, you know, the best group of investigators. They are considered the best agency, you know, the premier agency for this around the world. Um, they have exhaustively, exhaustively studied this, debated this, looked at, you know, the studies. Again, these were prospective, randomized, placebo-controlled studies when they evaluated this. And in looking at the sum total of the data and debating it and putting it through the most rigorous evaluation, they found that the vaccines to be safe. And again, right now our FDA approval is down to age 16. Remember that you can still get you know, uh, your family members and you know, your teens vaccinated right now under an emergency use authorization down to age 12. And we are going to be seeing, I hope sometime before early this year, or the end of this year, that will actually um, be pushed all the way down into our school-aged children. Thank you, Dr. Pennington. I want to talk a little bit about one of our employees, Mike Gallardo. I had an opportunity to speak with Mike yesterday. He's uh, at home. He's in bed, still sick, so he couldn't join us. And, uh, but we were able to, to record the phone call. So let's go ahead and play that phone call now and allow Mike to tell the story. As we're leading into that, Troy, if you could kind of give us some background 
on sure. Mike's story. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that this is a, a story that really highlights what a fantastic job our team has been doing, and, and specifically our nurse hotline. Mike had called the hotline initially, and, um, you know, and again, he's okay with us sharing this, and you're going to see the interview with Mike coming up. But Mike had called, and he was worried he'd been diagnosed with COVID, and he was actually having some blood in his urine. And the nurse hotline team had notified me, and I, I got on the phone, and I started talking with Mike, and I could tell really quickly that Mike could only get two or three words out and then you'd hear him take a big breath and then he'd do two or three more words and then another big breath. And, you know, I could tell immediately that he was severely, profoundly short of breath. And, you know, I really spent some time coaxing Mike on the phone. I said, Mike, it's so important that we get you into the hospital. I can tell from your breathing pattern on the phone that you need to be seen. And thankfully, we were able to get him into the hospital later that day. And when he showed up at Arrowhead, his oxygen levels were literally in the 70% range. And from there, he ended up on all the usual medications, on steroids and, and remdesivir, and was hospitalized on high-flow oxygen in the ICU. And he had uh, a, a really tough course, but he's doing better. He's out. There's more to the story, and I'm going to let you kind of listen into some of the other details. But um, um, that's how Mike kind of came to our attention, and I really wanted to kind of turn it over to the interview with the chief so you can hear the rest of the details of the story. I am with Mikey Garrido, who's a vehicle parts specialist over with Dale Sandoval's team in our fleet. Mikey was just released from the hospital with COVID-19 and has quite the story to tell. So, Mikey, uh, thank you for joining us. I know that we're just on the phone. Uh, we're not able to do a video feed today, but I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself real quick. I sure can. So my name is Mike Gallardo. I'm with Vehicle Services. I'm the parts guy for the shop. I'm 39 years old, and um, I've been part of the industry in the fire truck world since 2001. So, and I got blessed to be part of the county fire family in 2017 so i've been with you guys i've been with the family for a little over four years um so my story is um early in the pandemic like how dale told us we're not shutting down we're gonna go ahead and just keep on we need to have these trucks in service so we need to stay healthy and be and protect ourselves so i took that very serious as we all should and i started protecting myself you know of course sanitizing drink, taking supplements so then let's speed it up a little bit now this year well I'm sorry, in December 2020, my dad ended up getting hit with the COVID. He didn't survive. He was in the hospital for about 11 days and didn't make it due to underlying conditions that he had. So here comes January. As a matter of fact, 2021 is when he passed this year. Um, so all this time, I've been taking supplements, vitamin C, the zinc, the D3, everything. Me being 39, feeling pretty healthy, I was thinking that maybe I, if I get hit with the COVID, that I'll be okay. 
I never got sick throughout all this time, but I got infected. The symptoms began July 29th um, last month. And from there, I went downhill so fast. Within a week, a week later is when I went to Arrowhead with my oxygen level at about 70s in the 70s. So I was in the parking lot gasping for air at that point. That was the worst feeling ever. I ended up in the hospital for about 13 days that I was in the hospital. Most of those days were, were in the ICU. But thank God for everything. Um, I got released about a few days ago last week. And I just, one thing I do regret is getting is not getting vaccinated. I just felt too comfortable thinking that my body was gonna be able to fight the COVID, but it couldn't. It couldn't, even though I felt healthy, my body couldn't fight it. So I felt that I did need the vaccine. And hopefully this helps people these people decide on taking the vaccine or not. So please I tell my advice to everybody, my friends, my family, my coworkers, is to take the vaccine um, as soon as you guys can, because gasping for air was the worst feeling ever. Fighting for my life at the hospital was uh, really tough. Every day felt so long. It was eternal every single day at the hospital with the high flow oxygen. I don't not too many I don't know if people too many people know about that, but it's everything is serious. And that's pretty much what I went through. Mike, we've been following with your story. We, we knew that your dad passed in January and uh, your family was in our prayers and now my, my heart's really hurting for you. Um, you're, you're part of our family. You're a brother to me and yeah. to us. And um, when I know Troy Pennington's been reaching out to you since the beginning, um, even before the hospital. And I know you were talking to our EMS nurses, and Dale was certainly communicating to us. Um, we, we followed your story the whole time, and it means a lot when you got out of the hospital. And we knew you would. We, we knew you were a fighter and you were going to get through this. We were yes. worried, but we knew you were going to get through it. When you got out of the hospital, it was just, what, two, three days ago? On um, Thursday, I believe it was the 18th. Just a few days ago. And when you got out of the hospital, Dr. Pennington reached out to me and said, Mikey wants to tell a story uh, you know, about his dad passing. And you know, that yes. you're 39 years old, you felt healthy, and this, this caught you by surprise. Did any other members of your family get sick with you? Um, in my parents' household, yes, everybody. So it was my mom also got infected. She, um, we were scared that we were going to lose her too because she was just not eating, not drinking anything. She was just, she was just asleep for weeks. So 
not only her, but my sisters, my nieces, everybody got infected. And, um, but sadly, my dad didn't make it out of, out of the family. Uh, and this is in December. And I was the only one at that point that was not infected because I was dropping off the groceries, you know, being COVID friendly at the front, whatever they needed. I, I kept my distance. But at that point in January, I was the only one that was not out of the family. Uh, I was the only one that was not infected with COVID or got sick. Mike, uh, if you could, I know that there's a lot of our employees that are still unsure about the vaccination. I personally took it right away as soon as I was eligible in my tier. I had no adverse reactions. Um, I, I strongly feel that it's an individual decision um, that we should be educated. And the purpose of having Dr. Pennington come and meet with us and do a live video is that we, we do want to provide the best education to our, our fire department members, our family that we can. Um, what, what would you tell our fire department if you could meet with them each individually? What would you say to them? To use me as their uh, to to use me as their example of how bad it can, how serious this is, and hopefully by by me being the example will help them determine to get the vaccine because I wish I would have before I got sick. Mike, what, what really kept you from getting the vaccine after your dad passed? What was, what, was it you just weren't unsure about the vaccine? Is there any education we could have provided you back then that maybe we can now provide to organization? What were the thoughts that were going through your head? I believed in the vaccine. Yes, I did. Uh, but I just felt, I just felt too comfortable thinking that I'm real healthy with my vitamins you know, me being, you know, 39, I just, me personally, that was a huge, a huge deciding factor. I did think about getting the vaccine, but I was, I didn't take it as serious as I should have. Um, as far as you guys, as far as the department providing information, that's, it was great. You know, there's, um, it was just a maybe a personal factor why I didn't. But as far as the information provided by the department, um, everything's resourceful and, and good. Mikey, uh, you've been out of the hospital since Thursday. It's five days. How are you feeling today? I'm, I'm still with on oxygen. Uh, that's even that's part of the reason why I didn't want to really show my face because um, I just feel like I look sick even though I'm getting better but you know I'm just a little embarrassed but I am getting better little by little it's a long slow recovery which is another reason why I should have had the vaccine in my system because I know I wouldn't be on home oxygen like right now.
Mikey, thank you for meeting with us and for telling your story to our family. My heart's hurting for you, brother. Um, you are and have been continually in our prayers. I'm gonna continue praying for you and for your speedy recovery and for the, the great team that you work with every day. We're, we're happy to get you in 2017. I have one question, Did are you, and I can't remember, but I think, didn't weren't you one of the guys that we stole from KME to come over? Actually, yes, yes, uh, I used to work for KME, and yes, um, I'm happy you guys stole me. <laughs> man, we're glad to have you. Mikey, if you need anything, you reach out to us. I know Dr. Pennington and our RNs are gonna continue reaching out to you, and. Um, your family can certainly call me director with whatever you need we're here to support you i know that you're the guy that was bringing the groceries home and if you need someone to do that we'll make sure that happens i appreciate i, pre I really appreciate that chief i appreciate you guys the whole county fire family dr pennington everything i do appreciate it and um i can't wait to get back on my feet 100 percent fully recovered to get back in there Let's get you back. Thanks, Mikey. You have thank a good you. morning. I want to thank Mike again for telling his story. And I know there's there's a lot of of county fire folks that have reached out to our our great registered nurses team, our EMS team with Lee Overton and Sarah Miranda, Rob, uh, John Commander certainly supporting the team, and Chief Barna throughout this process with COVID. And and I want to thank. Lee Overton, who's here with us today, specifically for just the amazing job that she's done over the last almost two years tirelessly. Lee, I don't think you ever signed up for this, um, but you you care for us more than, than that I can ever imagine, and I want to thank you. But I have a couple of questions for you, Lee, a little bit on the shot. Where can we get the shots now? If we want to be vaccinated, where, where's those locations, and are we going to be offering any booster shots? So right now at the moment, there are shots available in every city, in every town. Uh, you can sign up to get your vaccination on the SB COVID website um, for the county. They have uh, appointments in every city. Um, most cities are giving uh, vaccinations. They have a vaccination site once a week. In Ontario, at the convention center, there's a place to go get a vaccination every single day, Monday through Friday. And simply uh, by making an appointment at your CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, you can also get a vaccination. I've had a few people reach out to me and say, how do I get my vaccination? Can I get one today? Can I get it on duty? And I've been able to call like a local CVS and say, hey, do you have any appointments that didn't show up? Um, I have a first responder who's looking to get vaccinated today. And they've actually called me back in the afternoon and said, yeah, um, send them right over. We have a couple of vaccines left over. The thing with the vaccine is quite unstable and uh, nobody wants to waste it. So you can usually find in the afternoons um, at any of these places um, an opportunity to get vaccinated. In addition, if you're a Kaiser member, you basically can't walk through the door of Kaiser without somebody putting a needle in your arm at some point in the year, whether it be your flu shot or your vaccination. At the moment, um, the IMT is not stood up. So we don't have any plans for providing a booster or booster vaccinations for anybody in the department. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not gonna be looking for pathways um, here in the next month to get uh, first responder personnel and employees of uh, the fire district vaccinated. Um, 
those uh, questions we'll put to public health to see if we can find a way. There's public health sites both in the high desert, in the north desert, and here down in the valley in San Bernardino and Fontana area um, where they're giving vaccinations on a daily basis. And we're going to look for pathways to get you vaccinated where you could maybe pull up in your uh, fire truck and um, get right there in and get a vaccination without having to have an appointment. Now, there's no promises at this point, but we've been very successful with public health department and their cooperation in assisting us in getting first responders and um, any of our employees vaccinated or the care that they need. So there'll be some more coming out with, with that. And um, I'm sure we're going to have some meetings in the next couple of weeks to figure out how we can develop those pathways um, to help you all get your booster shots, especially for those who were vaccinated early in the pandemic in December and January. Um, that's when the bulk of our folks um, got vaccinated all through to March, which would mean that you're coming up here uh, in these winter months. I do also want to mention that we're going to have flu shots this year. We'll come out and do the flu shot show. Um, flu, although it looks like it's gone away, everybody's out and about, everybody's maskless, everybody's um, come in contact with people in small, tight areas. Um, and I don't know if anyone out there has ever had the flu, um, but the flu um, is no joke. And we can have the same response as we have for COVID um, as you do with the flu. So we'll be out and about with flu shots. Um, if we need to buy more, we'll get more, um, but I encourage everybody to consider getting the flu shot as well this year. Thank you, Lee. You and your team truly are our heroes. I have one question, then I'm going to ask Tracy. I know that there's a lot of questions from our audience. The question I have is to Dr. Pennington. Dr. Pennington, I was I was vaccinated with the Pfizer. When I get the booster, should it be the Pfizer, or is there, um, or, should, or could I go get the Moderna? Yeah, so there have been a lot of people looking at this. Right now, um, the booster still should be with Pfizer is the current recommendation. Um, the other question that many people are asking is, you know, is it the same shot or is it a new formulation to try to address the variants? Currently, it's the, the same shot. So you want to get those, you know, antibodies bigger and beefier, but it is the same shot. And they're finding um, a significant uh, response following that third shot. That there is data, though, uh, you know, and we may see a change in this that is suggesting that, you know, if you've had two shots and then if they actually give you the Moderna shot and you had Pfizer originally, that that may be as good or even better. We don't know for sure. They're still looking at it, but currently it's going to be the same shot that you initially got. And again, it's the same formulation. So whether it was an mRNA vaccine that was Moderna or Pfizer, it's the same, vac it's the same formulation. Thank you, Dr. Pennington. Tracy? So we have several questions this morning. Um, the first one, how likely is it that vaccinated people get infected and bring COVID to unvaccinated children and immune compromised people? I don't know that I have a great number for you um, there, but that's the, the difficult part. Um, you know, we know that if you're vaccinated, you're less likely to pass it on to another individual we know that, again, you're less likely to get sick. Um, you know, your chances, you know, when they look at the virus and they look at the transmissibility of the virus, you know, so we have what, you know, I refer to as the OG COVID, right? Original COVID. And if we have a room of unvaccinated people, 
what happens in those unvaccinated people. If one person's got COVID, they on par normally would infect about at least two, 2.3 people. Then we had the UK variant, the alpha or the 117 variant. And then we found that one person infected like four people. And now with Delta, right, Delta, now one person, the transmissibility factor, the R naught, or how many people they can potentially infect is like six to eight. So it's, you know, on par almost like that of chickenpox. So th there is a, a high likelihood. And we're seeing more cases. I mean, and this is anecdotal right now, but I'll tell you, I am seeing more cases of sick children in the hospital. And I do have some concerns. I mean, you know, my stepson starts first grade today. You know, mama was all upset at school. And so I do have some concerns about how this is going to affect the children right now as we're going back to school because the hospitals are already severely impacted. But the risk is still much less as far as transmitting if you're vaccinated. Should vaccinated people continue to mask and distance when it is unknown whether people they are around are unvaccinated and not using those same safety precautions? Right. I'll be honest, if you're outside and you're distancing from people, I, I'm not routinely wearing my mask. However, if we're back inside and we're around others, I've transitioned back to wearing my mask inside. Obviously, we're wearing it at the hospital. I'm wearing it back in the supermarket. I'm wearing it in the office when I'm around others. Um, you know, every little bit that we do can help. You know, we initially needed to try to buy time with the masking and the good precautions to try to get us to the vaccine. And we still have another hurdle. We still are not able to vaccinate the very young. And so I do have very real concerns about what's going to happen as all of our kids transition back to school right now. So I still would encourage everyone to, to you know, take those precautions indoors. So a relative has cancer and fibromyalgia, and her doctor has told her that due to her compromised immune system, she is not a candidate for any of the vaccines. Is it possible that she is not asking the right questions? And, you know, she would hate to see her uh, miss out on that opportunity. Yeah, I might question that. So I would look really closely. There are a very, very small subsection of the population that may not be candidates, but we have found this vaccine to be safe and to be utilized in the vast majority of the immune compromised. So, you know, there may be more to that puzzle, but I honestly would maybe inquire about a second opinion because we are routinely vaccinating the immune compromised. My mother, cancer patient, had radiation, chemotherapy. She's on a biologic. She's on a steroid. She got vaccinated. All right. And what do we know, though? We know that those people that are immune compromised have difficulty mounting an immune response, and they may actually require a third shot. And they're actually recommending a third shot for those individuals to get immunity. But I'm not sure in that case that, um, that that's the appropriate response. Thank you, doctor. For those of us that are vaccinated, what is going to be done to protect us from the public or employees that are not vaccinated? The public is allowed to walk into our office without masking and we cannot verify if they are vaccinated same as employees. Chief? That's a, a difficult question to ask because we ask people to self-report whether they're vaccinated or not. Our current policies are that if somebody's unvaccinated, they need to be wearing a mask. Uh, if a member of public is walking in, we do have masks that are available for those members of public. And if we're unsure, we can simply ask that member to put on a mask. Um, again, though, there's it's just self-asked uh, to uh, Testation, so it's um, very little we can do. We can't exactly demand that they produce a vaccine card. So, question about the Jensen vaccination: Do we need a booster as well? 
I think it's supposed to be the Johnson and Johnson. About the J&J? Yeah. Yeah. And so actually there was some information about the J&J booster um, uh, yesterday that just came out. Um, It's right now the booster is still for the mRNA vaccine. So it's still for Moderna and for Pfizer. Um, But um, J&J data is still lagging a little bit behind. It's likely that they're going to recommend that. It's just a matter of the timing, but it's not recommended for J&J yet. Have there been any any reports of worse illness after the third vaccine shot? I was knocked out for a day after the second. And then will the COVID time show up on our level banks? We'll get to that question first. First question, um, have there been any reports of worse illness after the third shot, the booster? Yeah, so you can, you know, so when you look at it, so the, some of the best data that we have, um, and, and if, if anybody's interested i can you know kind of you know give you some of the links to some of the studies we we had a lot of data out of israel they have a very high percentage of their population that was vaccinated and they're doing very good population surveillance um you can expect on that third vaccine that you're potentially going to have side effects um i don't know from looking at the data i haven't I haven't seen that piece of it teased out, but I know that, you know, many people that experienced stuff after their second shot, they felt achy, they had a fever, they felt run down, you know, for a couple of days. There is a possibility that you're going to experience those very same side effects um, after the third shot. I haven't seen anything that points um, or signals that anybody's getting worse. And I know that they've looked closely at this um, because they've moved on to approved the the booster. So, uh, you know, obviously, if there had been an important signal there, I don't think that they would have moved forward with it. So, um, but I can't think of exactly where a study is. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look and, and if anybody's interested, we can make this stuff available online. I have some links I can send you to. Thank you, doctor. When will the COVID time show up on our leave banks and can we use it after the third shot if that is the case? I don't want to answer incorrectly for HR. So I've, I'm going to ask them to come into the room to answer that question if they're available before we get off. If uh, that can't be answered, we're gonna make sure that we send out information to our employees. The county does have leave banks that are set aside. Uh, They've exceeded what the state law minimum is and we certainly want to support our employees, but I'll have them directly answer that question and then give you the resources. So if you're unsure, uh, you'll be able to reach out through them. Another great question. What if someone only got the first shot of the Pfizer back when it was first offered, but never went back for the second, do they need to start over again or is it too late to get the second shot? No, they don't need to start over. Um, You know, there's a substantial amount of immunity that's gained, you know, even after one shot. Um, But I still would strongly encourage you to get, you know, the second and then, you know, potentially even the third shot following that. Um, But no, you you don't need to start over. Um, You know, we really, you know, there was a lot of debate early on in the pandemic about, you know, whether or not we should just initially when we were kind of rationing the vaccine, should we just do one shot for everybody instead of doing, you know, that two shot series to try to get more people initially. Um, but, you know, even with one single shot, you have a significant amount of efficacy, so you don't have to start over, but you should do your second and then eventually a third shot. Is there any evidence or from studies or trials with insight into the antibody and immunization immunization status of those getting vaccinated after already having had COVID? Yeah. So when they look at it, and that's a common question. So you've had COVID, you think, okay, I've had COVID, I've had natural infections. So 
I'm likely protected, um, I don't need the vaccine. There have been a fair amount of studies that have looked at this, and they've actually found that the antibody response is much more robust after having had the vaccine. So even if you've had natural infection, the experts are still encouraging you to go out and still get vaccinated because they find that by measuring antibodies in some of these trials and they look at specific cohorts, they found that your response is actually more robust. So, you know, for someone like, you know, Mike or Miguel that we had just in, in our video, they would still recommend that generally it had been, you know, about three months after the infection that, that he still go on to get, you know, vaccinated, even though he's had natural infection. Is it safe for a pregnant woman to get vaccinated? Yeah. You know, there was a lot of concerns initially about um, fertility and pregnancy. And honestly, if you look at our COVID-19 tracker in the county, it's astonishing how many pregnant females have come down with COVID. They've looked at this pretty rigorously and, you know, our obstetrical partners in the hospital are routinely recommending the vaccination. Next question, how often do we need to get the shot? Are they gonna make us do this once a year? I mean, for those that got it early on, should they be considered, I mean, are they even eligible to get it again this year? Yeah, yeah, so if you've got it early on, you actually they're recommending that third burst booster shot. So about eight months from the time that you've got, so if you've done your first two, they're finding again a waning um, immunity at around that eight month mark. Now. There's a lot of debate around this. And if you look at the CDC guidelines and you look at the World Health Organization guidelines, there is a little bit of disparity there. World Health Organization is saying, well, we should kind of hold off on all these people and we should go out and we should vaccinate the completely unvaccinated. That's probably a better thing to do as an, a global population. But the irony is I don't think that's going to happen. I think that really what's going to happen is in each country, you know, they're going to kind of focus on their own people, which may be a little bit tragic. But I think that's really what's going to happen. So they are recommending that you get vaccinated um, at around that eight month mark. It's tough to say, will this become a regular thing? I mean, I think it's baked into the cake here to a certain degree. I think that you know we're gonna now have to live with COVID like we have to live with the flu. And as it evolves and as it mutates, um, that we're gonna be looking at repeat vaccines. That's the problem with coronaviruses is that you can get reinfected from year to year with this coronavirus. And, you know, the other tough thing is that if we don't address the global population as a whole, if we keep having more mutations, more variants, um, it's going to make this even more difficult. I mean, ultimately, we've got to give COVID nowhere to live, nowhere to hide, because if it keeps mutating, you know, again, we're going to be back in that episode of Groundhog Day over and over again. So I do have another question. Um, I don't know if we want to wait for Bridget from HR to come in on this one. Why wouldn't we be working a hybrid office schedule if it's safer for the employees that are available to telework? It's a great question. So the county is supporting telework to a greater level. Uh, slowly over the last couple of months, they've been offering new opportunities. So I'll have Bridget announce or discuss that a little bit when she arrives. But if you believe you're able to telework, please uh, meet with your supervisor and the supervisor will meet with HR. There's certain circumstances that we can do it, certain that we can't. The first is, can the department support you? And we're gonna do everything we can to support our employees to telework. You did a great job uh, during the period when, when we had to ask you to work from home. 
and we really see the the advantage of allowing our employees to do that to keep them and their families safe. But again, there's very specific reasons, but we're going to be very liberal on how we address that because we want to make sure that we're supporting you. Bridget's going to be joining us just a minute. She wanted to print off the benefit sheet, so she she herself got it right. And following this broadcast, we'll make sure that we sent that benefit sheet out to each and every one of you. So we're uh, we're refamiliar with the county guidelines and what's available to us in our leave banks. Before Bridget gets here, though, I wanted to thank Lee again. And curiously, if you have any further thoughts or anything that you would like to add. Uh, thanks, Chief. Um, the nurse hotline is available 24 uh, 7 um, we take call um, each nurse takes a week call during the month um, and if you haven't called us um, with any questions um, you'll know um, that we are available and I just want to thank Miranda Rob Sarah um, for always being there and um, I think we have one of the better databases in the county um, that we've built um, for responding um, for our employees. If you ever have any questions, uh, you need to chat. Um, please know that uh, during, during the week, um, call your nurse um, from your division. And if it's after hours, we're absolutely happy to answer the phone and answer your questions. Um, if you're feeling ill, give us a call. If you're just needing some guidance or support, um, we're there for you. And I just wanna thank the other nurses and I wanna thank John for being in the office and um, uh, constantly supporting everybody here in the department. Thank you, Lee. Uh, joining us now from HR is Bridget Medina. So we will ask the question again. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Good morning. Um, let's see. When will the COVID time show up on our leave banks and can we use it after the third shot if that's the case? She's talking about the booster. So if we're referring to the COVID bonus leave, then um, those that qualify should receive it and see it on their first paycheck that they receive on September 8th. Great, and can they use it for the third shot if they go happen to get the booster? So the COVID bonus leave is an incentive that's offered to those emergency responders and those that have um, in fact uh, worked on COVID related activities. If you're referring to the emergency paid sick leave, the emergency paid sick leave can be used if you have a reaction to COVID and that's up to 80 hours that can be used. Okay, I'm pretty sure that probably answers the question. The next one and the chief did remark on this so I'll tell you what he <coughs> said. Uh, why wouldn't we be working a hybrid office schedule if it's safer for the employees that are available at, to telework? And the chief said it's, uh, the county does support that um, and to go to your supervisors. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, absolutely. We are considering those hybrid options, but it does need to be discussed with your supervisor to make sure that it's feasible. Thank you. Hold on, a new, new question just came in here. Can you get the booster as well as a flu shot, Dr. Pennington? Yeah, yes, um, yeah, there is. And again, we're, you know, as Lee was pointing out, we're, we're rolling into flu season. It, I'm really interested to see how this season rolls out. It, it's been an unusual year. You know, all of the normal viral illnesses that we would see in the emergency department 
you know, just kind of dried up. We didn't have a normal flu season. We didn't have an RSV season because everybody was masking and distancing. If we continued to do a good job, we may be able to flatten that out through this winter. But as our behaviors have changed, as we are getting back together more frequently, um, you know, flu is going to be a big consideration for us. And, you know, that's the other thing that we're starting to see in some of the other states. They're finding people you know, especially in children, we're starting to see concomitant infections. We're seeing RSV and COVID or Delta at the same time. And so I don't know how that's going to play out. But, you know, is it safe to do? Absolutely, it's safe to do. There hasn't been any issues with that. Um, and I would encourage you to do that. Because, you know, I can imagine as we go into flu season, now you've got flu and COVID at the same time. You know, I don't know what that's going to, you know, portend as far as your morbidity and mortality. But I, I think that it's going to make things even a little bit tougher. So I would really encourage you more now more than ever to get the flu shot. <clears throat> Thank you. While we're waiting for some additional questions, Chief, you want to wrap up? or? First, I want to thank our human resource business partner, Bridget Medina, for stepping in really quick with a, a no notice to answer that question. Thank you for what you do for us and, and your team. Dr. Pennington, thank you for the support you've given us um, the whole time you're a medical director, but over the last 18 months, the way that you've taken care of our employees, our county employees, our sheriffs. Uh, this morning we were talking and you were recounting some of the recent uh, hospital visits from sheriff's deputies and a little bit about Spencer and Ryan and their dedication to supporting the sheriffs. Uh, you're, you're always there for us. And I know that anytime we've ever sent a member to Arrowhead, you've made sure that you personally intended to them or had called ahead. Thank you so much for your dedication this fire department. Lee, you, you truly are my hero and you have been for the last, how long has it been? 15 years you've worked here now? 16. 16 years. And the last 18 months, we've asked you to do more than the previous 14 and a half years. Thank you for your dedication to our fire family. Those of you are watching, thank you for taking the time to participate in this. Know that even though the question and answers are going to be wrapping up here in a minute, we're still going to be able to answer any of your questions. Uh, Bridget and Abby are here for you. Your supervisors are here to support you, me personally, our EMS team. We want to make sure that you have the resources. So if any additional questions come in, if you're viewing this after it's been live broadcast, please just reach out to Tracy and we'll make sure we get those questions answered. We'll go ahead and take this last question, Chief, since it's already been submitted. Uh, I asked Bridget to answer it. What are the parameters of hybrid telecommute when we have proven that we did it effectively for a year? So they're asking for the parameters of hybrid. Good morning. We actually have a very comprehensive telework plan with all of the guidelines outlined. So please get with your supervisor and we can go through that process with you to make sure that it's feasible and productive. Thank you, Bridget. If there's no further questions, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. You're most certainly welcome to email Tracy Martinez or to text her and we will get back with the answers. Uh, also, HR, um, the chief mentioned earlier, so I wanted to let Bridget know um, that maybe we can put out some of these guidelines out to the department Absolutely. once again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Thank you all for joining us. This has been a COVID-19 update with Dr. Troy Pennington for Wednesday, August 25th, 2021.